Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Well, I've had a chance to examine the Durham report and the media analysis of the report. It is so representative of the divisions in America. If you read the New York Times, there's nothing to the report. It's just, you know, 300 pages of stuff being repeated over and over again. In fact, the New York Times, which doesn't know the difference between the front page and the editorial page, here's its headline, analysis. They do that now on the front page or the news section, analysis. Durham report offered few conclusions. The right drew its own and um, and then it says conservative leaders and right wing outlets say the special counsel's report, which produced no startling revelations, lends credence to their to their uh, conspiracy theories. And then the article says bombshell screamed the Federalist in all capital letters, a treasonous charade, former President Donald Trump declared who should go to jail, demanded Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, and 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 so. It depends what media you read. Uh, well, I re- read the report before reading um, the analysis in the media. And, and of course, my conclusion is uh, honest and unbiased. And I have no dog in the fight. Um, and I think it's a very, very significant uh, report. Let me, let me just read you a couple of things from the report. The New York Times the gray lady, the paper of record, tells us in its front page analysis that there were no conclusions reached. Well, let, let me read you. Uh, Durham's report states that the FBI used um, uh, raw, unanalyzed, and uncorroborated intelligence to launch the crossfire hurricane investigation into Trump and Russia. And here's the this is a bombshell, but used a different standard when weighing concerns about alleged election interference regarding Hillary Clinton's campaign. They used a different standard. What the, what the, the Durham report is accusing the Justice Department and the FBI of is of a double standard. One standard for Trump, one standard for Hillary Clinton. If that's not a bombshell, I don't know what it is. Um, Durham points specifically to, quote, highly significant intelligence the FBI received from a trusted foreign source pointing to a Clinton campaign plan to vilify Trump by tying him to Vladimir Putin so as to divert attention from her own concerns relating to her use of a private email server. Now, what could be more significant than that? A trusted source trying to vilify Trump by tying him falsely to Vladimir Putin. That's a finding. That's a conclusion. That's pretty serious. Um, But 
and then I'll continue to read. Unlike the FBI's opening of a full investigation of unknown members of the Trump campaign based on raw, uncorroborated information in this separate matter involving a purported Clinton campaign plan, the FBI never opened up any kind of an inquiry, issued any tasking, employed any analytical personnel, or produced any analytical products in connection with this information. That's not a bombshell. That's not a bombshell. What they're basically saying is there was a far stronger basis for opening an investigation of Clinton. Remember, I'm a friend of Hillary Clinton. I voted for her. I contributed to her campaign. I've met with her. I, you know, I've had dinner with her on numerous occasions. I like her. But she should have been investigated if Trump was being investigated. Now, why, why the double standard? Well, the FBI, according to the Durham report, the report concludes that at least on the part of certain personnel intimately involved in this matter, there was a predisposition to open an investigation into Trump. And the opposite of that is that there was a strong predisposition not to open an investigation of Hillary Clinton. I mean, this is dynamite. Yes, this is dynamite. This is very, very, very substantial. Based on the evidence gathered in the multiple exhaustive and costly federal investigations of these matters, including the instant investigation, neither U.S. law enforcement nor the intelligence community appears to have possessed any actual evidence of collusion in their holdings at the commencement of the crossfire investigations. Durham then attacked the FBI for failing to take several steps before launching the Trump campaign investigations, such as interviewing relevant witnesses. What could be more obvious than interviewing relevant witnesses? Reviewing its own intelligence database or using, and this is a quote, any of the standard analytical tools typically employed by the FBI in evaluating law intelligence. And so it's absolutely crystal clear that the Durham investigation and report found, conclusively found, that a double standard was used and was used because people in high positions of investigative authority had a predisposition toward investigating Trump and not investigating Hillary Clinton. What could be more obvious than that? What could be more disturbing than that? You know, it, it's, it's like what happened during the Richard Nixon time. I was audited four times uh, during the four years that Nixon, uh, or the six years, whatever, that Nixon was, was president. Every time the government owed me money, but I was clearly selectively picked because I strongly opposed Nixon and, and called for his impeachment uh, because he had committed high crimes and, and misdemeanors, um, including bribery, one of the specifications in the Constitution. And, and, and so I was on, you know, the enemies list um, and I was being selectively investigated. There's something very, very wrong with that. And there's something very wrong in selectively not investigating. And so we really have a lot to talk about and a lot to think about uh, here. This is just not just 
what the New York Times said. You know, no conclusions. It's just the right wingers who are calling this, um, uh, you know, a, a, uh, uh, an important report. Again, in, 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 there are two headlines. Yet today's headline, analysis, uh, Durham report offered few conclusions. You know, this is a news report. They're supposed to tell us. I've just read you the conclusions. The right drew its own. And the right is basically turning this into um, here. But in the world where Trump and his supporters operate, again, they're, they're penning me as a Trump supporter because I'm taking this position. But I'm not. Uh, but in the world where Mr. Trump and his supporters operate, Mr. Durham's four-year investigation was Watergate times 10 or times 100. Mr. Durham's uh, awesome prosecutorial powers led to two minor criminal cases, both of which ended in acquittal. A former FBI lawyer pleaded guilty to altering an email to help procure a wiretap allocation. That's not the point. That wasn't necessarily his only job. His job was to come to a report, to produce a report, and the report was produced, and it was very, very substantial. But even before the Times read the report, they were prepared to knock it. This is yesterday's headline. In final report, Trump-era special counsel denounces Russia investigation. Well, at least they said denounces the Russia investigation. In today's story, they don't even really talk about that. They say nothing. There's nothing new. You know, stop looking. Uh, <clears throat> nothing to see here. Um, but, um, but there's plenty to see. And, and, and there's plenty to see, not only in the report itself, but in the way the media has analyzed uh, the report. You know, you're not getting served by the New York Times. Well served. You're getting their narrative. You're getting NPR's narrative. You're getting MSNBC's narrative. On the other side, you're getting Fox's narrative. Sure. But why can't we get an honest narrative? Why do you have to turn to the Der Show to get an objective analysis, to get a person who is not a Trump supporter to be critical of what happened to Trump and to be supportive of the work of an independent prosecutor? I don't even know whether he's a Republican or a Democrat. He's been non-political for, I don't know, 25 years. Uh, he was a highly regarded prosecutor when he was first appointed. Everybody uh, praised him. And let me tell you, if he had come to the opposite conclusions, the same guy would be praised by The New York Times instead of calling being called uh, Trump era special counsel. He'd you know, he'd be called a special counsel sent from heaven. Um, so. So. You just cannot believe what you read on the front page of the New York Times. If you make it through to the editorial page, you know, it's just propaganda, but it's expressed as propaganda. It's, it's it, you know, that that's what op-eds uh, tend to be uh, in, in lots of newspapers. And you're allowed to use the editorial pages to propagandize. You're not supposed to be using the front page of the New York Times to propagandize, but that's what's that's what's been been happening. And so what's going to happen now? Uh, what's going to happen now is partisanship is going to take over in Congress. Uh, the Democrats are going to say, nothing to see. We don't need hearings. Uh, we're satisfied. Let's take this 300-page report and file it away somewhere. We don't have to do anything. No legislation. 
We've already seen the inspector general's report and the FBI said it's going to cure everything. It's not. It's not. And the Republicans are going to say this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And we have to do this and that and the other thing. And, and both sides will be partisan. But, you know, that's in the nature of a system of checks and balances. And although I voted Democrat, I voted for a Democrat for Congress. I voted for a Democrat for the Senate. I voted for a Democrat for president. I'm not unhappy that our government is divided, that we have one house, the Senate, controlled by the Democrats and one house controlled by the Republicans. I think that does serve to uh, check and balance uh, the president and the, um, the Senate. Now, you might say the Supreme Court is in the hands of Republicans and it strikes the balance, but the Supreme Court shouldn't be in the hands of the Republicans. The Supreme Court should be apolitical and, and, and neutral. Look, just today, the United States attorney in Boston, a woman who I've met, seemed very nice uh, to me, uh, has just been forced to resign because she was caught speaking or attending a, a fundraiser uh, for the Democrats. Uh, I think that Mrs. Biden spoke at it. And the Hatch Act prohibits confirmed presidential appointees like the U.S. attorney from attending partisan events. But, you know, she might reasonably ask, we're not supposed to be partisan. Of course we're partisan. Everybody knows we're partisan. Everything about law enforcement has become partisan. It was partisan under the Republicans. It's partisan under the Democrats. This requires a structural reform. As I've said before, the only way to cure this is to divide the Justice Department into two component parts. One, the political part. Usually that's called the Minister of Justice, the advisor to the Prime Minister, the advisor to the President, the man who, or woman who wants to get the president or the prime minister reelected, that's part of their job. That's one job. And the other should be the director of public prosecution, a civil servant, not appointed by the president, uh, somebody who is nonpartisan, who decides who to prosecute and who not to prosecute. As long as we merge those two roles together, it's a schizophrenic job. You know, in the morning, Merrick Garland has to take calls from the president and uh, help him with his campaign to be elected, to give him advice on legislation, a perfectly appropriate role. He's a cabinet member. In the afternoon, when he has to decide who to prosecute, he can't take a call from the president. Uh, president can't say anything. Uh, and he's supposed to be totally independent and not think about what benefits or disadvantages might occur as the result of a decision to prosecute or not to prosecute. It's too much to ask for any one person. And as we know, former attorneys general and deputy attorneys general have gone to prison and uh, others have been disbarred. Uh, it's an impossible job. Uh, Ronald Reagan uh, appointed his own personal lawyer, William French Smith, to be the attorney general of the United States. What an obvious conflict of interest. His own personal lawyer knows secrets about him that can't ever be disclosed. The attorney general of the United States, on the other hand, if he finds out something that warrants disclosure, has to disclose it. We just haven't thought this through. And some of it goes back to the framers. Uh, other constitutions and other law enforcement, England, we have a separate minister of justice and separate director of public prosecution. In Israel, we have the Minister of Justice, 
political, somebody who's going to only advise the prime minister to help him get reelected, part of his party usually. And then we have what Israel calls the attorney general, which, and there's also a state prosecutor, and they're independent of the government. They, in fact, have indicted the prime minister of Israel on what I think are not serious charges, but, um, but nonetheless, they indicted him. So they seem to have it right, although obviously people are protesting in Israel about on both sides of whether they really have it right. But they have it righter than we have it in terms of our Justice Department. So I would hope that we would learn a lesson. I thought maybe we could learn the lesson from Watergate. We didn't. I thought we could learn it from Clinton. We didn't. I thought we could learn it from um, the, the Trump in, indictments uh, and, 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 and impeachments. We haven't. And we're not learning it from the from the Durham report. I suspect the Durham report will end up in the circular files, and uh, will not result in any legislation or or changes. I hope it results in Americans remaining suspicious of everybody. Suspicion is a good thing. It was a learned hand, the great judge, who said essentially the spirit of liberty is the spirit that is not too sure it's right, that always welcomes a different and another point of view. And uh, that Felix Frankfurter once said that, that the history of liberty is primarily a history of process, of procedure. We have to get it right. We have to get the procedures right. We don't have it right. And uh, that's reflected in, in the Durham report. The Durham report seems, you know, it's 300 pages. I haven't studied every footnote. Uh, seems to have gotten it right. It seems to have used hard evidence, lots of emails, lots of um, other hard, impossible to dispute evidence, records, um, to make, to arrive at its conclusions. And yes, yes, there are conclusions. Durham report offered few conclusions. The right drew its own. No, the Durham report offered important conclusions. A, there was a double standard applied to Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. That's a conclusion. It's a very important one. B, many people uh, in law enforcement saw the evidence and the law through the prism of favoritism to one side rather than the other. And, and three, good people, decent people. I know a lot of these people. They used to be my friends. They're Democrats. Many of, of these people are good people, but they did very bad things. And when good people do bad things, it's even worse because it's much harder to criticize them. They all say, well, you know, we cheated. We did this. We lied. We violated our principles. We stretched the facts. We stretched the law, but we did it in the interest of getting Trump we did it in the interest, or again, I didn't come up with this title. This is the title uh, that was given to me by the Attorney General, District Attorney of New York. And it's a title that could have been a subtitle of the Durham Report, because everything in the Durham Report substantiates what I wrote in, in Get Trump. These are good people who think they're doing the right thing, and they're willing to stretch the Constitution, distort the law, in order to prevent what they regard as a worse outcome, namely the election of Donald Trump, as I've said this over and over and over again, Justice Brandeis has said the worst 
the worst dangers to liberty come from well-intentioned, good people uh, who think they're doing the right thing. And they do it with zeal, but without any understanding. And a lot of the people that are criticized in the, um, in the report, in the Mueller report, uh, Peter Strzok and others uh, whose emails are self-proving, believe they did the right thing. Uh, Strzok was on television and will be on television more justifying what he did. And I think many of them think that the ends justify the means and the end of not allowing Trump to be the president in 2016 or not allowing him to return to the presidency in 2024, uh, justify cheating, uh, justify uh, doing, doing it. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Hillary Clinton uh, supporter. I'm a Democrat. I want to see the Democrats win in 2024. But, you know, I was a Boston Red Sox fan. Still am a Boston Red Sox fan. But I called them out when they when they cheated, when they stole signals or 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 did some of the things they were accused of of doing. I don't want to see my team win by cheating, whether it be a basketball team or a football team or a baseball team or a presidential campaign. I want them to win cleanly and fairly, uh, complying with due process and complying with the rules of law. So, no, I'm not on one side or the other. I'm on the side of justice. I'm on the side of equality. I'm on the side of the rule of law. Okay, so let's look at some of the letters. A lot of letters had to do with the subway killing uh, of um, the homeless man by uh, former Marine uh, uh, Penny. Uh, some of them were nasty. Some of them were thoughtful. Let's start with the nasty one. I kind of think if the subway victim were identifiably Jewish, you would be calling it murder too. No, I would not. I would never, ever, ever make a decision about the law based on the ethnicity of the victim or the ethnicity or religion of the alleged perpetrator. I believe in the biblical command of do not recognize faces, do not recognize races. And if you don't believe that, then it's hard for me to get you to believe anything about me because that is central to the core of my own beliefs. So it wouldn't matter to me, but it does matter to a lot of other people here. I got another uh, kind of nasty letter about that. Let's see if I can put my finger on it right away. Uh, the thrust of it was okay. The thrust of it was um, oh, I can't find it. Um, okay, the thrust of it was this: um, Why are you saying that um, more money uh, was raised um, for Penny's defense because uh, Penny was white? Um, and the thrust of the letter was that the same amount of money would have been raised if the racial situation were reversed. I, I, I wish I believed that. That would be the America I'd like to live in. Okay, here's the letter. Professor, by saying you don't know if people who donated to his defense fund would do so if the races were reversed, as partisan and biased, you are calling honorable and justice-loving people racist. That is what I would expect from a racist leftist. I would appreciate an apology for such a hateful comment. Now, you're not going to get one. 
because I believe it's absolutely true. I don't say these people are racist. I am saying that the fact that this was a white ex-Marine is a significant factor in uh, the con in, con in contribute contributions that were made, that if the person who was the alleged perpetrator were a black person, a homeless person, a uh, person who was like the alleged victim, and the person who had been attacked was a white former Marine, I think everything would be different. I think a lot of the people that contributed um, to um, uh, the defense would not have contributed to the defense. That's just a fact. And if, if you think that's false, tell me that's false, but don't accuse me of racism for, for telling the truth. That's the truth. Okay. Where on earth do you get similarities between Iran and Turkey? Well, there are some similarities and there are major differences. And I hope uh, that we understand that. Iran under Shah was not a democratic country and was overthrown by a violent revolution uh, that suppressed dissenting voices. Well, true. Turkey is a democracy. As you yourself often like to say, reasonable people can disagree about the role religion plays in a society, particularly in a Muslim one, which traditionally doesn't have a concept of separation between church and state, nor does it have a concept of democracy. Uh, most Muslim countries do not have histories of, of democracy. It is really surprising that somebody like you presenting himself as a beacon of rationality cannot see reality for what it is. Turkey is an authoritarian state. Um, uh, the president of Turkey locked up judges, locked up journalists, uh, has prevented dissent. I don't know whether this election is fair whether the runoff election will be fair. But don't, don't list Turkey as a, as a democracy. Yes, it has votes. And, and I think if, if Erdogan loses, maybe he'll go away peacefully. Maybe he won't. I don't know the answer to that question. But while he has been president, he has been autocratic. And um, you, know, you can list countries in several categories. Obviously, Iran is much worse murders blasphemers, murders gays, and throws them off the roof. Um, it's virulently anti-Semitic, all of that. Uh, Turkey is not nearly as bad, but it's not nearly as good as real democracies like you know, Great Britain and France and Israel. And the United States, um, dissent is not really tolerated. Uh, there is some, but you dissent at your risk of being imprisoned. And I worked on behalf of some of the judges who were in prison trying to help them get out. And, but they, uh, they, were, they were locked up, judges being locked up because it was alleged that they supported somebody who was opposed to Erdogan. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, I think you're right that to compare the two isn't correct, but, um, but uh, to uh, compare Turkey to a real democracy isn't correct either. Mr. Dershowitz, you have argued that Roe versus Wade should not have been overturned because it was a longstanding legal precedent. Slavery was also a longstanding legal precedent in the 18th century. Was it wrong to overturn slavery? Slavery was never overturned. Slavery was affirmed by the Supreme Court. We had to fight a civil war to end slavery. Slavery was ended not by a Supreme Court decision, 
but by a constitutional amendment, the 13th Amendment, then the 14th Amendment, then the 15th Amendment. Those were the peace treaties of a civil war. It required the killing of more Americans than were killed in any other war, including the Second World War and the First World War, uh, to end slavery. So no, it, it wasn't easily overruled. I think there are certain kinds of decisions that are so plainly wrong that reasonable people can't really disagree about them and they should be uh, overruled. But uh, Roe versus Wade, I didn't agree with it. Um, when it was first announced, I wrote against it. A friend of mine was uh, denied a judgeship because he, a liberal who believed in a woman's right to choice, didn't think it could be found in the Constitution. But the justices found it in the Constitution under a variety of equal protection, privacy, a range of factors which reasonable people could argue about. But that kind of a decision uh, which people have, have counted on and which seemed to be established law should not be reversed just because there's now a majority the other way. If Merrick Garland had been allowed to get his hearings and had been confirmed as he should have been, he was appropriately appointed by President Obama, the decision would have been different. And you don't overrule a 50-year-old decision because you can, because you have enough votes to do it. There better be uh, a more compelling reason. I don't think anything changed between the time of Roe versus Wade and the time it was overruled. So no, I, I, I do think that there's a big difference between overruling slavery or segregation on the one hand and, and overruling Roe versus Wade. Are we gonna see gay rights overruled? Um, there's nothing explicitly in the constitution. Gay people were imprisoned uh, at the time of the framing of the constitution. But the uh, constitution is, it's not a dead document. It's not a living document. It's a slowly evolving document. And so, um, okay, I have a few more good questions, but they'll have to wait until tomorrow. So let's see what news breaks between now and then. But please return and listen to The Dirt Show. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.